Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode number 198 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, entrepreneur. We talk about getting it together, leveling up, living better than you've ever lived before, and that is our goal. So I want to share something with you guys. We have an awesome topic today. We're going to talk about breaking habits, which, of course, is super challenging for everybody, and we're all doing it all the time, right? We are not only trying to break habits, change habits, but we are regularly adopting new habits. So this is going to be a good topic. I found this fantastic article, and I'm going to share with you a lot of what it said. It's right up my alley, being very scientific and brain-oriented in its action approach. And you know, I love that. Everything I talk about on this show is science-based. It's proven stuff. Because for me, in the beginning, learning about my brain and how it worked is what made me feel like I was fixable. Like when I first got sober and I started to understand things, on the brain level, like how my brain worked and how my brain was hijacked with alcohol, that's what allowed me to really understand that I could be fixed. Because my self-esteem was so low, I felt like such a horrible human being. I didn't believe in my own ability to fix myself. But when I understood the science of it, I was like, oh, okay, so I can still be a crappy, horrible human and I can be fixed. <laughs> like Those two things can live together. I can still be crappy and I can be fixed. So that's my approach to everything, right? I approach it from a science-based brain kind of level. This is how we change our lives, change ourselves, change our perspectives and thought processes. And all of that is what helps you change your behavior, right? And all of that is what helps you create the life you actually want instead of that shit show I created when I was drunk. <laughs> I mean, that thing was a mess, you guys. That life I had before was a hot mess. So of course I want to do it differently in my sober life. You know, I got this second chance to live and I want to live and I want to have the life I always dreamed of. So that's how we do it. Science-based, factual stuff. If you follow a, a kind of process and you stick to it and you have some good tools, there really is nothing on the planet you can't do. And that's what I want you to know and believe about yourself and your situation. It's all fixable, I promise you. So one of the other things I wanted to share with you is I just had my own like major light bulb moment. You may remember a couple, it's probably been a couple of years ago, I had Adam Gilbert on the show from My Body Tutor. Adam's company works with healthy lifestyle, right? Food and fitness. And I worked with his company. I hired my body tutor a few years ago and worked with them. And 
Obviously, when it comes to food and fitness, there are some major synergies with addiction, right? Because many of us with addiction issues have food issues. And many people with food issues, if that's what they're treating as their primary thing, many people with food issues with that nature of compulsion overdrink, right? And I can't tell you that they're all alcoholics. I don't know that. But probably in an overuse of alcohol, abuse of alcohol stage, maybe not full dependence. So I asked Adam in his and my conversation, I asked him, how do you help people with self-sabotage? Because this is a question I get all the time, right? We always talk about self-sabotage and it's this baffling kind of thing like, what the heck is wrong with me? What am I doing? Why am I effing up my own gig? Like, this is crazy. You know, I have this goal. I'm a super committed person. I'm a strong, powerful person. I can do so great for a while and then I fall off. It's like I self-sabotage. Like, what the heck is happening? I experience this myself in my own life it, when I am working on my habits and changing things. And my clients, you guys, this is a constant topic. And I'll probably do a whole episode about it at some point. But when I asked Adam about self-sabotage, he gave me this answer that was life-changing. And I know that probably sounds dramatic to a lot of you, <laughs> but you know those moments when you have that light bulb moment and somebody says that one thing that you're like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense to me now. Like all the pieces fall into place and it changes everything. And what he said about self-sabotage was self-sabotage is really just having a fear of exactly the thing you want to achieve, right? So if you want to get sober and stay sober, you might be moving toward that and doing really well and putting some time together, whether that's days or months, and you're doing it, right? And then all of a sudden, you drink, self-sabotage, because you have some fear attached to sobriety. And of course, Adam talked about it in regards to food and fitness, right? And I had this light bulb moment when we're speaking, and you'll hear me talk about it in that episode, but where I understood that my self-sabotage with my food is I have this fear of having to maintain it. Once I have this lifestyle that I want and being healthful and mindful of how I'm treating my body, like... How the heck do you maintain that for the next 50 years? <laughs> you know, like that feels like a lot. And it really made things make more sense for me with my clients. Like, oh my gosh, that makes so much freaking sense. That's the fear is how to maintain it. But what I know on the sober side, you know, is that it gets so much easier. It's not this concentrated level of attention that it takes in the beginning, right? In the beginning, getting sober, I have to be so mindful. I have to be so aware of what I'm doing, where I'm going, who I'm hanging with, what kind of activities I'm partaking in, what am I doing for my recovery? It takes a lot of energy in the beginning. And your thoughts are going crazy because you haven't learned how to deal with those yet. Your feelings are going crazy because you haven't learned how to deal with those yet. And it feels like this kind of crazy manic 
thing sometimes in the beginning. It doesn't stay that way. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's the part I want everybody to understand. Your whole rest of your sober life is not going to feel like it feels in the beginning, especially if you're doing good work on yourself, especially if you're working with a coach or working a program or doing things to be involved in consistent growth and self-improvement. So I just loved that he described it that way. And again, for me, the light bulb moment with food was, I'm going to get to this place, right? And and I'm already great with exercise. Like, I, I'm good with that. I don't struggle with that so much. But food, I, I think, I feel like I will always struggle with to some degree, especially sugar. And and that was the thing that came to me. It was It was the maintenance of it. It's like, wow, okay, I'm going to get to this place. And I'm going to get to this size that I want to be and be able to wear all my clothes again. And then, oh my gosh, I have to stay that way for the rest of my life. (laughs) And that feels really overwhelming. And it also made it make more sense why in AA we say one day at a time, right? Because you don't want to think too far out in the future because it does feel overwhelming. It's like I have to just focus on today. But I love that definition of self-sabotage. You'll hear it in next week's episode with Adam. So fantastic. And uh, and I'll probably do a whole podcast about it. I'm going to do a little more research and figuring things out and uh, put together some good stuff for you guys on self-sabotage. But I think it also plays into this episode of breaking habits, right? Because we have to understand some of our own patterns. I always say one of my greatest keys to success in my life and my businesses is I have to have an understanding of what my shortcomings are. I have to know what I'm not good at, right? Because I have to put things in place to work around my weak spots, So if I know I'm not good at a certain part of business, then I have to put the right people in place to handle that part of business. I'm not going to try to force myself to do it. I probably do for a little while, right, to see if if I'm teachable in that way or if I get better at it, do I enjoy it more? If I have a good system or process in place, will I be better at it? I'll try those things for a little while because I always want to challenge myself. But listen, if I just suck at something, I just suck at it. I got to have somebody else do it. And that is... One of the greatest understandings you can have about yourself is where you're not good because you have to provide reinforcements for yourself. If you know that you make it, you know, weeks or even some months at a time in sobriety and then you fall off, well, then you better be thinking about some things you can do in that spot where you usually fall off. Like, figure something out to support yourself. Don't just sit back and do it exactly the same as you've always done it before and expect a different result. You got to do something. You got to make a change. If I know I get to two weeks and then I drink again, then at two weeks, I'm going to have some things in place. I'm going to plan a call with a coach or I'm going to plan a coffee with my sponsor or I'm going to plan a lunch or a weekend away with my sober friends. I'm going to put something in that weak spot to make it stronger. 
I mean, that's only if you really want to be successful. If you don't really want to be successful, then you won't do anything and you'll have the same result. So think about it like that. You have to know your weak spots so you can have reinforcement. One of the biggest things to understand in habits too is a habit is its own process in your brain and it is largely an autopilot situation. And this is where you'll hear people talk about, you know, I'm driving home from work and all of a sudden I was in the liquor store. Because your brain really does go on autopilot. It has a system. Habit is a system. And your brain is created to find shortcuts, to preserve energy, right? So the less you have to think about something, remember how we've talked before about brain fatigue, decision fatigue. When your brain is making a thousand decisions a day, it gets tired. So whatever shortcuts your brain can create to conserve energy, that's what it's going to do. And that's really what a habit is. So when your brain recognizes that you're doing the same thing, you're repeating the same pattern over and over again, it creates a little habit wheel. And the habit wheel is cue, routine, reward. That's the basics of it, right? Something cues you. We call it trigger a lot of times, right? That's a cue. Something cues the thought process. Your brain goes into autopilot, into the routine, and then you have the reward, right? So take my little ice cream addiction, for example. I can be sitting on the couch, just minding my own business, having a wonderful evening with my dog, and all of a sudden, I, literally, you guys, it could be anything. It could be the, <laughs> the tiniest word. It could be a commercial on the television. It could be a smell. I mean, it could be anything can trigger me to want ice cream because there aren't very many moments that I don't want ice cream. So whatever the trigger is, the cue, then my brain immediately starts going to the routine. What is my routine for ice cream? What do I have to do? I have a few places I like to go. As much as I'm obsessed with ice cream, I really only eat a few different kinds. I'm very picky. None of them are really easy to get, which is fantastic because <laughs> otherwise this would be a much more challenging battle. But anyway, see the cue or have the trigger and my brain immediately goes into the routine. Okay, what do I do? Where do I have to go? Do I need to get ready? Obviously, I have to get in the car and go somewhere. So it's just my brain immediately goes into that process, the routine. Then the reward is whatever the ice cream brings me, right? For me, it's not only that ice cream obviously tastes really good, but it's this whole comfort thing, right? It's an internal thing. The reward is an internal thing that the habit satisfies. So it's this comfort thing for me and this ritual of, and I'm the same way with food. It's this ritual of getting home, getting really comfortable, cozy on the couch with the dog and one of our favorite super soft blankets, turning the television on. And it's just this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's a ton of fulfillment I get from those moments, right? And it can be food or ice cream. That's the reward. So the first thing you want to do when you break a habit or you want to change a habit is figure out those pieces. What's your cue? What's the routine? And what's the reward? 
And you guys have this in a thousand ways <laughs> that you already do every day. If you really start thinking about it, like I worked with a client a long time ago who was trying to stop eating candy at work because there was all these candy and donuts in his office building. And he had created this habit of after lunch, he would go down the hall to his buddy's office. He would sit at his buddy's office and chit chat for a few minutes and he would eat candy out of his buddy's candy dish. And it just became this thing. It just became a habit, right? Now, the cue is lunch. Because he always goes to his buddy's office after lunch. So lunch is the cue. It's already putting that thought process in motion. The routine is going to his buddy's office after lunch <laughs> and sitting down to chit-chat. The reward is comfort, companionship conversation, right? All those things are the reward. So when we were working on breaking that habit or changing that habit, I had him start going for a walk after lunch instead of, and I was like, get your buddy so you can still get the reward, right? But go walk around the perimeter of your building, go outside, stay inside. I don't care. Just make this your new habit instead of going and sitting down and eating candy. And it worked really well. But we had to identify the pieces, right? The cue, the routine, the reward. I know a big one for me with candy, and here we are back at sugar. <laughs> a big one for me with candy is I had all of these routines in place in all the different places I would go, right? So if I'm stopping to get gas in my car at whatever place, I would have a certain candy that I would always get or a bag of chips or whatever the thing was. At every place, I started recognizing every single place I go. I even have places that I shop. You know that, you know, department stores, how they have like all the shelves and stuff by the registers that are just full junk food. Now they have little coolers full of drinks, but chips and candy and everything by the registers. Even my clothing stores, I created these rituals, right? Where I'm getting my favorite 12 flavor gummies. I'm getting my gummies at the clothing store. And now my whole shopping experience gets tied to an unhealthy habit. But that I started noticing every place I went, I had these routines in place. And it was challenging. Like to really start breaking that was challenging. But you have to start with identifying what's your cue, what's the routine, and what is the reward. When I recognized the reward for me, whatever the emotional thing was, when I could recognize that it wasn't anything that ha that really was connected to the food or the candy, that made it a lot easier, right? It's like, if I want comfort and connection of some sort, I can get that a thousand different ways. And that's how you start problem solving it, right? It's like, how can I create the same thing with a different routine? The other thing that's really big, and I do this with my six-week clients, you guys have probably heard me talk about it before, is change your environment. This is huge. You need to create your environment to support what you're trying to do, your new lifestyle, rather than your environment supporting your old lifestyle. And there are a lot of different ways to do this, but one thing for me like I just talked about the routine of like even stopping to get gas. I started going different places to get gas. And I know that sounds silly, but that's just what I did for a while because 
I didn't want to already have it in my mind. I'm pulling up at the gas tank or at the gas pump and I'm thinking about going inside and getting the candy because I know what candy's there. I know exactly where it is and this is my routine. Well, if I switch it up and I'm not going to that place, then I don't have to worry about that trigger and that routine. I'm switching things up. And that's your environment. It's everything around you. Think about changes you can make in your office to support what you're trying to do and support your new habit. They did a study with students changing their habits, and they found that the students who transferred to a new school were more likely to change their habits than the students that stayed at the same school because they weren't exposed to the same familiar cues and triggers. All of that changed. That's your environment. The next one, reframe your goal as positive. This is a fantastic practice, and I learned it through law of attraction. I'm a big law of attraction person. Obviously, you guys hear me talk about the universe. That's my thing. Law of attraction is just an amazing lifestyle that really fits with my belief system. And in Law of Attraction, we always talk about, think about the thing you want to achieve, not the thing you want to get rid of. So when it comes to weight loss, I don't think, oh, I really want to lose five pounds, lose five pounds, lose five pounds. I think, oh, I can't wait to be able to fit in those jeans again. Like you always think about what you want to move toward instead of what you want to get away from. Does that make sense? So instead of thinking, I'm going to stop eating junk food, think I will start eating healthier food, right? Always think in terms, reframe it, not the negative, what you want to get away from, but the positive, what you're moving toward. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) And this is a brain thing too, by the way. Your brain, the habit system in your brain doesn't understand negative goals. Your brain understands forward motion, working toward a positive goal. And there's research behind this too that shows you're more likely to achieve a healthy eating goal than eliminating that I'm going to stop eating junk food, right? Your brain doesn't understand it. So when you reframe it in that positive way, research shows you're more likely to achieve that goal. And there's a whole emotional component to this also. When I was researching this episode, I found this piece that said, I'm going to read this to you really quickly. Psychologists say pursuing negative goals is associated with feelings of incompetence, decreased self-esteem, and less satisfaction with progress. And these emotions deter us from taking action. On the other hand, it's much easier to become excited by the thought of reaching a positive goal, which will increase our chances of achieving it. You see what I'm saying? Switch it to that positive, what you're moving toward, what you want to achieve rather than what you want to get away from. And on that same note, another reason your brain doesn't grasp negative goals is it's hard for your mind and your body to stop a habit altogether. 
because it becomes so instinctual, right? That habit wheel that I was talking about, the cue, the routine, the reward, it becomes very instinctual for us to complete the routine when your brain recognizes the cue and is craving the reward. So telling yourself you're just going to stop doing it is not going to cut it. And this is the next one. So rather than trying to cut out the habit, which almost never works, right? It kicks in this whole deprivation thing and all those psychological aspects I just talked about. The best way to do it is to, to create a new routine to replace the old one. Again, this is another thing I talked to. I work with people in the six-week program about how to do this, right? It's always better when you remove one thing from your life, replace it with something. You don't want to just take it away, but replace it with something happier. So when you have the cue, you want to still get the reward, but you insert a new routine, right? Like I was talking about with my candy. Once I realized what the reward was, and I realized the reward doesn't really have anything to do with the food or the candy, then I could figure out a different routine. Instead of going in and getting the food or the candy, I could figure out something else to plug in there where I would still get the same reward. Next one, tell your friends about your progress. We always talk about this, the importance of a tribe and sharing your experience with people around you. This isn't only because it creates accountability for you. It also makes it more exciting. And the beauty of being a part of a tribe and having some accountability is your experience is helping your other tribe members also. We get so self-centered and only thinking about what's, what's it going to do for me. You forget that you sharing yourself and sharing your experiences, helping other people, even if it doesn't seem valuable to you, it's valuable to the people around you. So create that tribe in whatever you're doing. Create the accountability. It makes it more fun. You get to share your experiences. You know you're not alone. You have to have a tribe, people. I know you're tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) And the last thing I'm going to cover in this is be nice to yourself. Give yourself some grace. This is a long-term journey. It's not going to be fast, right? Changing habits doesn't happen overnight. This is not an instant gratification situation. Sometimes it will be, right? Sometimes you'll do it and you'll nail it and you'll be like, heck yes, dude, check me out. But the mind frame has to be, this is a journey. This is a long-term goal that we're working on. There are going to be mistakes. There are going to be missteps. The only thing I don't want to make a mistake in is drinking because I don't want any alcohol in my body, period. I will go to any length to not drink. But with my food stuff and just being a more health-minded person, being more conscious of that... You guys, I'm working on five decades of bad habits. It is not going to change quickly, you know, and I have to give myself some grace and I have to find progress in small ways because it's all progress. I don't just make the decision to be better and I'm magically better. I'm working on some really deeply ingrained things that, again, five decades that I've been practicing bad habits. So it's going to take some time. Be nice to yourself. Give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. 
and recognize your progress even in the moments that you don't do things exactly right. Progress, not perfection. Be kind to yourself. I love you guys. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I will see you next week. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.